0: I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs audio. You probably know today's guest, Aaron Gleeman, who is a contributor to NBC's Hardball Talk and also as the proprietor of AaronGleeman.com. But you might not know the Aaron Gleeman whose application to write for the University of Minnesota's daily newspaper was rejected nine times. That listener is the Aaron Gleeman to whom I speak on this edition of the podcast. Other topics discussed? Putting on pants? And the Troubles Therein, Aaron Gleeman's most favorite podcasts and comedians, and for those who love to suffer, a brief discussion of the current iteration of the Minnesota Twins. It's large, it's almost entirely in charge, and it begins right now. It's Fangraph's audio.
1: So. and I had big plans to uh, get like an actual home office because there's an extra bedroom in the basement. And I was like, "Yeah, that'd be great. I'll put a TV in there and I'll put a desk in there." And then I was like, "Well, I don't really want to go downstairs. I don't want to because that sort of motivates you to get dressed, and that sort of ruins the whole idea of blogging." I think
0: <laughs> your your bro- your blogging would be compromised if you if you were <laughs> if you were dressed like an adult.
1: I really do, and also like a couple times because the NBC offices are in Connecticut and I've flown out there a couple of times and worked out of their office for like, you know, three days at a time. It's really, it's it's uh, it's uh tough. It's tiring to actually, you know, sort of be around people while you're working. I mean, I, I realize this sounds absurd because 99% of people work in an actual office around people, but when you haven't done it and you try to do it, especially for a, a writing thing where you're not really, you don't really need to interact with people all that much. I don't know. I found it very weird.
0: Do you, do you feel like, um, I mean, it seems like what you're suggesting at some level is that routine is pretty important to writing. Do you, you feel that way?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially with uh, the NBC gig, it's all sort of, you know, we try to post a new thing every half hour from like nine to five. So it's basically, I think in the past when I've had, you know, maybe longer form writing gigs, you sort of just, I don't know, let the creativity kind of come to you and, just start writing whenever it, it fits. Usually for me, you know, 2 a.m. or something. But yeah, with with the uh, having an actual day job, sort of writing, and you get up the same time. Your first post is at the same time. You try to hit it every half hour after that. So yeah, routine is definitely huge.
0: Yeah, you're the volume the you. I guess it's it's mostly you and Calcaterra, right? At uh, a yeah. NBC. The, the yeah, volume, and then we have s- oh, a couple
1: part time guys too. Yeah.
0: the volume there is crazy
1: uh yeah i agree with you i've uh the (laughs) first when we first started doing it i uh i was doing like i don't know nine or ten posts a day which to me was like a ridiculous amount because i was even you know i've been blogging for a long time but it wasn't really a true blog because i would just basically post one sort of column per day and just call that a blog so i was doing like nine or ten and i you know and the guys at nbc the uh the higher-ups after a while, they were like, you know, we'd like to see you do something a little more than 9 and 10, and I I thought they were kidding, but yeah, so we're doing, because Craig's doing one every half hour, essentially, and I'm doing one every half hour, so yeah, you can do the math on that, It's it's a lot, and like, you know, days like today, when nothing is happening, and a lot of days like that, you know, especially Christmas and also just in the winter in general, around the holidays and all that, there's nothing going on, so I don't know, thank God for like minor league signings, I guess we can sort of... Invent posts out of that. I don't know how much interest people have in them, but
0: so what's we throw the? Them uh, up there. I mean, what's the process then? You essentially just you sit in that chair, and then you you scour Twitter.
1: Yeah, basically Twitter and RSS. I don't know. Do people still use that? Um. That's,
0: I mean, not people, not people under thirty.
1: Well, I'm I'm under thirty, barely.
0: Yeah, I and now. I know that, and I I was mentioning because I think that you. I uh, had an opportunity to listen to uh, the most recent episode of the podcast. Uh, that's with Dane Perry. Yeah. Uh, not only was he a little bit upset that you were under 30, um, and this is not entirely related, but he also um, offered to make love to you. I don't know if you heard that.
1: Yeah, I did hear that. I was listening. I was about, I don't know, 20 minutes in. I don't know. What was that, about 30, 35 minutes? I was 20 minutes in, and I was loving it, and I yeah. thought... uh I posted on Twitter something how great it was, and then ten minutes later he, you know, offers to have sex with me, and I thought, wow, that I don't know if that made me like it more or less, but yeah, unexpected. I, you know, we have his application on file. We'll yeah. keep it if the position opens up. But uh, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, D- I mean, Dane will make love um, to any anyone anywhere. That's his. Well, uh, that if yeah. he if he if he were to start a state, say the fifty-first state, that would be the state's motto.
1: So you're saying I shouldn't be that flattered by it.
0: I'm just saying no. He, I mean he'll he'll give you special attention. It's, okay. Yeah. You know, but it's just for him it's not about for him it's about he just wants to connect erotically uh with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good what, goal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean that's what he's he's in it to win it. I don't know what that means. But I do <laughs> know that um I do know that it's on a billboard in Minneapolis. They have a, Is it really? Yeah, there's a bank there um, that I think has sort of like uh, created a, a series of billboard advertisements for people who are wary about investing uh, in the present economy. And um, they have these. Uh, there's a lot of sort of motivational tags associated with it. And one guy, he's like leaning against a wall, and he's and he says, in the the the, um, the print says, "I'm in it to win it. Join me," or something like that. And then it's like Bremer Bank or Kramer Bank. or.
1: Wow. Yeah, that uh, – I don't know what to make of it. Aside from that, what did you think of our uh, our fine city here while you were?
0: I, I didn't get – I mean I didn't get a ton to see it. I will say – and uh, I received uh, some nasty messages t- to this effect, but I mentioned maybe with Dave Cameron the other day on the podcast that um, I couldn't imagine being a Twins fan. But it it's not necessarily that, it's that I couldn't imagine being a Twins. I can't imagine – it's weird when you see people so dedicated – Um, so dedicated to to a team um, you know and especially something like Twins Fest where it's all Twins fans and people coveting uh, you know Scott Diamond's autograph
1: yeah Uh, that's the thing I never got about Twins Fest I haven't been there I don't know in like a decade but I was never into autographs and to me the whole I mean it all revolves around that basically I mean you were there this year so you can say better than me but yeah, I never. Even when I was a kid, like when I was, you know, twelve or thirteen, and I was there, I like looking at the the baseball card show and that type of thing. I liked eating the dome dogs, but then to stand in line for like, you know, forty five minutes to get some random, you know, bench player or mid level prospects uh, autograph, I don't know, it never did
0: much for me. Or great, uh, great French, uh, French baseball player Jacques Jones's autograph. I
1: heard that somewhere.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's going around. Um, yeah. That information is going. Is making the rounds. That's what they say. It's
1: good info. It's accurate. Yeah, it's good. I can't right. imagine. I can't imagine a better French baseball player than Jack Jones.
0: No, no, no. You couldn't. Not even if. Don't try. Don't even try. The French yeah. would not want you to. They don't want you to try. No. Um. You know. Hey, listen. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast. And I'm trying. I was trying to figure out because your name, I, I, for as long as I've sort of been aware of uh, baseball writing on the internet. Uh, your name has been one of the names of which I've been aware, and I and, you know I don't even know how that happened. Um, I do know that today I went to and I don't know how telling this is. I went to AaronGleeman.com uh, uh, and uh, tried to find or uh, shuffled through the archives a little bit. Tried to find the first post, 424 pages deep. Uh, one mm-hmm. finds a post from August 1st, 2002.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. One. Uh, Was it good? Did you like
0: it? Actually, the, I'll tell you what. The thing that surprised me, and um, but I, which I did like, is that you didn't you didn't really call attention to the fact that it wasn't like a like a a, a default WordPress post that you get. It's like hello world. I'm starting a blog. You were just um, you leapt in. You leapt into your blogging.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I never really like introduce myself or anything. I just sort of acted as if I'd been doing it for a while. I don't even – it was about A.J. Burnett, right? That was the first post.
0: Yeah, A.J. Burnett. And actually uh, – and there was also a David Ortiz post too, Player of the, yeah. Player of the Month.
1: Yeah, and that was when he was still on the Twins, right? Yeah. Oh,
0: very much so, yeah. And in fact, um, this is what really dated it for me was – I believe it was the next day, August 2nd. There was a post about the Red Sox releasing Jose Offerman,
1: <laughs> that's yeah, a long time it.
0: ago I mean you have not thought about the name Jose Offerman for some time
1: yeah it didn't what was the le- he was in the news a few he got into some sort of fight right in like the winter league or something like that,
0: that yeah think, that man. information that also sounds accurate as long as we're dealing with accurate information <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, yeah I've been doing this for a long time I think uh, you know you kept you said like uh, why you kept seeing my name I think it it really I know this is going to sound absurd but I think it really helps to have your name start with two A's in a row. I think that's played an underrated part in whatever career I have at this point.
0: You think that maybe, like in the in the yellow pages of baseball bloggers, you, you have Absolutely. the first entry.
1: Yeah, how they'll have like uh, 15 A's, you know, uh, plumbing, and then you know that'll be like the most popular plumbing service just because of the yellow pages. But yeah, yeah. Well, I really, I mean, I think when people list like their blog roles. I don't know if people still do that. I realize this whole podcast is gonna be me, me just going, "Do young people still do that?" So that's the second time I've ever said that. But <laughs> I think, like, when people list on their blog rolls, if they do it in alphabetical, I'm always at the top. It's like I remember being in like third grade; you'd always be first in line for lunch. That was pretty cool. And so it's, you know, it's all the potential parents out there. Name your kid Aaron.
0: Uh, right.
1: Take notes on that. It's not a great name; it's a decent name, and then you get all the the double A benefits.
0: It's big. Yeah, you do. Right. Um uh, in fact uh, my dad is uh, owns an insurance agency in Concord, New Hampshire uh called uh, Able Insurance. When you're uh, when you're ready, we're able. That's the, the yeah, motto. Yeah, that's good. Um but he it. was very aware of the uh the importance of um the, the yellow pages. At that point. I think my mom pro-
1: I think my mom and dad probably knew. They probably figured, you know, in 1920 years this kid's going to be sitting in his bedroom blogging about uh, David Ortiz and Jose Offerman. It's going to really benefit him. That's the dream. I
0: mean, that's the dream.
1: Right. Any parent, when they see their kid for the first time, they go, this kid, he's got a post about Jose Offerman in him. The key is just going to be (laughs) raising him right, keeping him out of trouble for like 20 years and just letting that come out naturally, I think. Because you don't want to force a a Jose Offerman post. That's just, that's disastrous.
0: No, 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 no. You don't want to, no, no. You don't want to get all up in your kid's face about it. Let it come out naturally.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: That's the uh, – Gleeman, that's what they call the American dream, and that's American spelled with two A's.
1: (laughs) I'm going to start doing that with everything. Do it. I
0: mean, why not? I don't know. Right. It'll be like your answer to the Klux Klan, you know?
1: (laughs) It'll be exactly (laughs) like that, yes. I was thinking more like uh, how Boys to Men's got the Z in it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of – you just alter the letters a little bit, yeah, and it just makes a, a huge impact on your entire lifestyle.
0: No, but wait. So I'm curious as to how I, – I sort of caught wind of it because it, it, this actually happened – this revealed itself um, at our at the sort of uh, Drink drink Fest 2012 that we had after yes. the Saturday uh, edition of, of the Twins Fest. A bunch of people got together in Plainsville, Minnesota. Is that right? Rose, Roseville. Close Roseville, enough. Roseville, yeah. It seemed – seemed like a Plainsville. Maybe you guys want to change the name of that. Um,
1: Generic generic name, number 25. Right, suburb.
0: And a guy was there, a guy with great hair, who had just moved from Masson, and now he's doing some sort of uh, beat work for the uh, Pioneer Press. Right,
1: yeah, uh, Ben Gessling is his name.
0: Right, excellent hair,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely, excellent hair. And I think you commented on that. He didn't really know how to take that, but you know, I, I agreed with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his hair uh, is almost Dozier-esque. Yeah, I was going to say.
1: I think the reason he maybe didn't know how to take the compliment is because you had just, uh, you know, spent maybe I don't know three, four hours talking about how wonderful uh, Brian Dozier is, your new crush or your latest crush. I don't know. I mean, he's he's part, of, from him he, yet?
0: he's part of the um, pantheon. of of baseball and crushes, but he's not necessarily at the top. He's part of it, though. The point is that Ben – sorry, one more time. Ben what? Gasling. Gasling, okay. Uh, He was there in attendance, and he and you had something in common, which is that at different points you had worked for the student uh, newspaper in the sports section at University of Minnesota, I think.
1: Well, sort of, yeah. That would be – I would like that story better. But uh, we're the same age, and I think he – was the same year as me at the University of Minnesota, and he was on the student newspaper. And I uh, attempted to get on the student newspaper. I think literally nine times in four years, and never did. So yeah, we were talking about how I was trying to convince him that I wasn't holding a grudge against him, so he didn't have to worry about me, you know, spiking his drink or anything like that. But yeah, he, uh, he, I think he was the Gopher football reporter at one point when I was there. I remember reading his byline. Uh, and you know, I'm, uh, I, obviously, I think he's from Minnesota and that's why he came back, uh, to take the Pioneer Press gig. But yeah, I was, cause that's the, the chip I have on my shoulder. I think probably I'll have that forever. But yeah, and I, I was asking him, you know, who were your editors? Cause I was trying to figure out if they were the same guys I interviewed with and, and denied me and it turns out they are. Yes.
0: And, now, uh, now, do you have a sense of, um, because it's peculiar to anyone now who knows you as, a professional baseball writer who's compensated, compensated handsomely, uh, for his um, for his contributions to NBC Sports, for example, and, and other places. Um, do you have any sense why you would not have been accepted to the to the uh, student newspaper?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I've only thought about that like forty thousand times since then, so it's, it's <laughs> tough to say for sure. But <laughs> uh it's possible that i am not the greatest um you know job applicant interviewee i mean you can judge for yourself the listeners can judge how uh how charming or not charming i am i don't know i mean i was when i first did it i was when i first applied i think i was 18 i basically did it two years or twice a year uh for my whole time there uh you know if I blame, I blame them for a long time, like, you know, how could they turn me down? But, you know, ultimately, it's probably my fault. They probably had a, a ton of good uh, applicants. It's a it's a pretty great student newspaper. I mean, that was a big part of why I went there. Um, you know, I had big uh, thoughts of covering, like, you know, some random sport, moving my way up, getting an internship at a newspaper. That just never happened. But, you know, like you said, uh, it may have been for the better, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's easy to say now, but, yeah.
0: Well, sure I have it is. no I mean, idea why
1: they didn't.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm curious as to how that, um, what that looked like or what it felt like in your head, because I can understand uh, the first or second time, you don't get a gig, you say, oh, I'm a freshman, etc. maybe that's why, um, you know, uh, interview slash application four through six, you're perhaps frustrated, yeah. you know, yeah. you say, but, uh, you know, if do I want to do this? Yeah, I want to do it. Then seven through nine, though, that that's dedication.
1: Yeah, the seven through nine, I mean, I lost, I lose count of what, which the actual numbers and which years they were and all that, but I think like seven through nine, at least eight and nine were, uh, you know, like my journalism school professors, you know, I would tell them all about the story and they would like either set up an interview for me, like, you know, to try to skip ahead of the line or something, or they would just uh, keep, you know, pushing me to do it, saying it's, you know, really important. So at that point, I was just like, all right, I'll do it. I've already done it, you know, six times, seven times, so let's eight or nine. But, yeah, at the end, I had no uh, thoughts of actually being accepted. So I was just doing it, I think, to add to my number, to be able to tell a uh, a more impressive story years later.
0: Well, yeah, right. That's like, I mean, essentially what we have here is the journalistic equivalent of um, Michael Michael Jordan getting um, cut from varsity as, as a sophomore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's just like that. Although, I think I just read a story where that's not even true, the Jordan thing.
0: It's legend, but this is true.
1: This is, this is true. very man. true. Yeah, this is very true. I should go back and try to make it 10, because I think 10 is a nice... You want a round number, I think, when you're...
0: Do you want, like, an honorary... Uh, an honorary... Um, I don't even know rejection. what to call it. Yeah, an, an honorary, honorary rejection. rejection.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was just talking to uh, one of my cousins. Is a student there. He's a journalism student, but... And I was saying, you know, they were joking that I should go back and try to get on the newspaper because I dropped out. So I, I still got some eligibility left and they were joking about it. And I said, you know, you're, you're kidding around, but I would give serious thought if they said to me, if you re-enrolled and you, I don't know how many credits you'd have to take, but whatever course load, and we'll give you a column or at least let you report on some decent sport, I would, I would think seriously about it. That's how uh, big
0: the chip is on my shoulder. But so when did the... uh now, was the AaronGleeman.com was that your first uh, entree into into sort of public sports writing? Then,
1: um, well, I wrote like we had a junior high newspaper and a high school newspaper that was probably read by no one, but I was the sports editor on those. But yeah, it was uh, I was home after my freshman year, uh, and I'd been rejected twice, I think, by the daily, and I was literally doing nothing, just watching TV in my mom's house all day. And I thought, well, if they won't have me, I got to, I mean, because I I couldn't think of any other option to do for my life. I mean, since I've been, I don't know, like 14 or 15, I just assumed I would be a sports writer just because that was my only interest really and my only, you know, what I thought was a skill. And so I thought, well, at least I'll just practice writing and put it out there. So maybe someone someone could stumble across it, or at least the threat of someone potentially
0: <laughs> reading
1: it for some random reason would motivate me to make it decent content. So I just started doing that. I think the original address was like baseballblog.blogspot.com. That was back in the, the old days of the internet when Blogspot was a big thing. But yeah, it's uh, and for, you know, for a long time, single-digit readers, under 100 readers per day for, for I don't know, probably a year at least. So yeah, it was. I don't know why I stuck with it. I don't know why I continue to stick with it, but yeah.
0: Well, now it's uh, now you're now you're compensated handsomely.
1: Yeah, but not for that. Not for the uh, the that that's a that's a money losing proposition for the last nine years. I'm sure.
0: Oh yeah, why do you do it then? Is it is it sort of um, is it like the streak? You just can't bear to, to see it end. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I I really think it is like that. I mean. I've cut down. I guess I used to do five a week, five posts a week for sure. Now I do two or three posts, and some of them are shorter, and some of them are just links to, uh, you know, scanned clad women, photos of them and stuff. So it's barely baseball some of the time. But I, uh, I probably should quit, but I just can't imagine not doing it. I can't. Im- I think people would be angry at me, and I can't. I can't handle that. I think so. I'll just continue to, to uh, devote my, my life to uh, blogging about the twins, just so people don't get pissed off. I think.
0: Right, yeah, I guess it is sort of your connection uh, to the Twins. I, w- I want to discuss uh, – I think it only makes sense that we discuss um, actual Twins baseball uh, momentarily. Um, but I want to make sure that we, we've we covered every other topic before we do that because <laughs> because I know that <laughs> we'll lose um, at least 29 30 of our listeners when that happens and then probably even half of the people who are Twins fans because um, – being a Twins fan is a is a sad enterprise. At, at
1: it's not fun these days.
0: But no, it's not. No, no, it's not. Um, uh, one thing that I wanted to to ask you about though is I know that you're you're a big comedy fan. Yeah, um, Yeah. You've you've linked recently to uh, a, a a WTF episode in which uh, Todd Glass, whom uh, to whom you refer, is one of your favorite comedians. Uh, He drops out, or no? He uh, came came out of the closet, and then additionally, uh, you noted on the most recent edition of the podcast, you cited uh, Bill Burris' podcast. Yeah, yeah. because because you did the most, and and I I think you did a really good job. The the um, most recent edition of um, Gleeman and the Geek that you do with John uh, Bonus, John Bonus, Uh, that you guys do weekly from a bar, um, an area bar. you you ended up having to to do this week's, um, in a solo fashion. Uh, I thought you did a good job, but you mentioned that, uh, that Bill Burr's uh, another uh, comedian who has a podcast um, was uh, was a sort of an inspiration for you. It made you think that it was possible.
1: Yeah, to do a solo one. I mean, I I got so, it got sort of a decent reaction just because people said it wasn't terrible. Um, but it's not something. I mean, it was tiring to just talk for an hour with no. No uh, co-host, no call-ins, no nothing. It was just like a monologue, and I don't know. It was rough. I guess my uh, co-host called him sick, so we've done like 25 weeks in a row, I think. And I thought, well, we don't have to. We don't have to end it. I can just talk. I can babble for an hour. I don't know. It was tough. I don't. I guess I was pleasantly surprised just because the emails I got and stuff. People said it was at least somewhat listenable. At least some of them got to the end of it. But yeah, that's. I can't imagine having a solo podcast. That'd be.
0: Yeah, I know, and I see that. I mean, I think. Um, I think the thing that you seem to understand, or, or that you sort of accomplished in that episode, is um, I believe when people are listening to podcasts, and this is uh, we're treading dangerously into the world of meta commentary, so be careful. Yeah, I, this is. Meta.
1: I don't think we're tre- we're in it. We're not treading. Yeah. We're in
0: it. We're meta. We're meta casting right now. Watch yeah. out. The but the um and I, and I say this though as a listener is. Um, you don't necessary. You're not necessarily looking for excellence. I think, um, actually, much like every Twins pitching prospect, you're looking for something with a high floor as opposed to a high ceiling.
1: Yeah, we're we're just pitching the contact. You're saying with the podcast that we're we're just yeah. throwing strikes. We're letting them put the ball in play. Yeah, sort of trying to get through innings. Yeah, right. I think right. that's true. Yeah,
0: I, yeah. I think that's the thing. When I listen to a podcast, I'm just looking for uh i'm looking to um I, it's a I, I silence is the enemy i guess right because silence uh then you're forced to reflect and then when you reflect you immediately uh, you're immediately reminded of all of your shortcomings and the fact that you're going to die i mean i think i'm stating the obvious when i say that
1: I yeah uh, you may have taken a couple steps further than i would have but i agree with that i mean i think it depends because i listen to a ridiculous number of podcasts i think I- I'm looking right now on my iTunes. I think I'm subscribed to like 42 of them, which is just silly. That's silly. But I guess it depends how you're listening, like how actively you're listening. Because I know a lot of people, I guess they on their commute, whatever that is. I've never had one of those, but I hear stories about them that people listen to them there. They listen to them on like the, you know, while they're on the treadmill. Uh I listen to them just constantly throughout the day as kind of background noise when I'm when I'm blogging away. So I guess yeah, you're right that. You just want someone or something that's, I don't know. It's kind of like easy listening music, I guess, in a little bit. You don't want it to kind of distract you from what you're doing totally, but you want it to be distracting enough that it can help the time go quicker or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, and I think it's like an. It's uh, for me, it's a nice alternative to, for example, just having the TV on to whatever channel. Um, yeah. You know, or something to that effect. But, um, but so what? So what are your? Uh, if pressed, what would you? Um, what would you say are your, say, like, top three, top five podcasts then?
1: We mentioned Mark Marion, That's always a good one. But I think everybody listens to that one. Uh, I'm trying to think. The Fangraphs Audio, that's great. Yeah, it's Hoping
0: pretty good. It's pretty good. good. I can could, I could yeah, get behind that.
1: That's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, that's a good
1: one, yeah. Uh, Todd Glass, who you just mentioned, he has his own podcast. Bill Burr, like you mentioned, he has a good one.
0: Bill Burr. No, wait. Uh, um, Todd, Todd Glass, what's that one called off the top of your head?
1: Uh, the Todd Glass Show. Okay. Enough.
0: Okay. Clever,
1: clever um, name. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what other ones. I don't listen to that many sports ones, really. You know, Bill Simmons. I listen to Kevin Goldstein's on on baseball perspectives. That's good.
0: Up and in with the uh, with uh, uh, Jason Parks.
1: Yeah. 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 That's. I that, I'd say that's, you know, that Simmons. Your podcast. Those are the few uh, sports ones I listen to. Yeah. Do you think? That's probably enough. I uh, mean, do you
0: do you do you read um, or? Do you read uh, sports writing or, like you said, listen to sports guests? Do you do that in, in your – I mean, we talked about the podcast, but I mean, do you read sports writing in your free time or do you try and get away from it?
1: Um, it's a little tough to say because, like, this, I don't even know where, like, hobby begins and job ends and free times, you know, because, like, I write about baseball all day for a job. Then when I'm done with that, I write about the Twins as a hobby. And then, you know, when baseball season is done, I watch that. So I, I I always am looking at Twitter and stuff and reading sports stuff that way. But, yeah, I think probably, like, if I'm looking to actually read a long-form article, it's rarely about sports. It's usually, you know, something about comedy or movies or TV or something like that.
0: Cultural, uh, cultural pieces.
1: Yeah, real highbrow stuff.
0: Yeah, you're a highbrow guy. I noticed a, on your face, actually, I was going to ask you about that. Your brows are... Distinctly high. I, didn't, I thought maybe you had like a, maybe an operation, like a plastic surgery. Uh, yeah,
1: I was going to say plastic surgery. I'm willing to admit that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, like Star Jones lost all that weight and she didn't admit to having gastric bypass. And I thought, as a fat person, I thought that was, that's not so great. So as a high brow person, to all the low brow people out there, yeah. when you see me, don't assume it was, it's natural. You got to, you know, you need to correct it if you want to look. Super high-brow like
0: me. High-brow. Now, a low-brow person, uh, uh, have you ever seen anyone actually with the brows below the eyes? Hmm. You ever seen that? That happens sometimes.
1: I would like to see a below-the-eye unibrow. I feel like that would be really the pinnacle of of brow.
0: Right. Right. We'll get on top of that. I'm sure there's a freak show somewhere. I don't know if freak shows are allowed anymore.
1: Send Uh, Carson your pictures if you're one of those people.
0: Yeah. Um, But from the... uh, Keep keep it from the waist up, I guess, the photographs.
1: If you must, but I, wouldn't you be really impressed with a unibrow Whoa. waist down?
0: Whoa! That would be. <laughs> well, I don't want to become.
1: I don't want to be steal, you know, Dame spotlight here and become the filthy guest. But you know, that would be. That's a hell of a skill to have.
0: Yeah. Just a reminder, our listeners, I'm here with uh, the Michael Kadire of baseball writers, <laughs> Aaron Gleeman. That's me. Aaron, you also mentioned uh, comedy. Who are your who are your dogs there? Who are your, who are the comedy giants you got?
1: Uh, I don't know. Is it? I guess everybody just says Louis C.K. Right? Can, but you some can that say of. that.
0: It. Other people say it. You can say it. It's okay.
1: Yeah, it's weird because like he really he lives up to it. It's sort of like saying you know who's the best baseball player, and everyone will say you know Albert Pujols or something. But then you think about it, and you go, well, he's really he's really good. So there's no reason to you know make up some obscure unless you want to be you know super hipster about it and try to think of some open micer in uh, new york or something really get on the bandwagon first but yeah louis ck i've never seen him not be funny even when he's like not trying to be serious like i've heard you know when he does radio interviews or when he's talking about his tv show and stuff he's trying to be serious and he's still hilarious i don't know
0: you think it's naturally you, you think he's just naturally funny
1: I think he's naturally funny and he also has a like a such an odd way of his mind works in such a weird way that he his phrasing is funny and like his inflection is funny and just the the way he approaches topics is funny. Uh, I guess he's just funny. Uh
0: the interesting thing about Louis C. K. and this is perhaps an ingredient uh to great comedy, is that he's totally affirmative, do you know? And that uh he also feels as though nothing is outside of his sort of uh his area of interest, right? Or yeah. Or a- area of inquiry. He, everything is, is, is um, available to him.
1: Yeah, and I remember, I heard him talk one time about how when he first started, I guess he's from, he started out in Boston, I think, and when he first started, he said he was trying to be just another, you know, set up punchline comic, you know, from the 80s. And he, I think he said he was decent at that, but then he realized, like you were talking about, he, now he just sort of well, at this point, he's trying to talk about stuff that no one would want to talk about specifically. But he just kind of is willing to dive into any topic. Um, I think more and more, maybe people are going to follow his example, just because. I mean, wouldn't you say he's at least among comics and like hardcore nerd, you know, comedy nerds? He's got to be the the guy people name the most. So I would think, you know, in ten years, when there's a new batch of young comics, they're going to be copying him more than I don't know. Let's say. Seinfeld or somebody
0: like that right yeah I mean I think that uh, I think that he definitely does something and and I mean I I uh, have spent quite a bit of time at the open mic night here in Madison Wisconsin and I can tell you people are already using Louis C.K. Uh, and his act as a blueprint uh, I mean it, it it's it's hard to do well I think and you know I mean he's older and he's spent I mean regardless of the fact that he's sort of put behind him the the, the more sort of uh, you know, orthodox joke-telling style. He, The fact is he did it for a long time, you know. So he has those chops. He has joke-writing chops if he needs them. So I think that, you know, it's you can't ignore that.
1: Yeah, I wonder, like, how is it when somebody who's, like, young with no life experience tries to kind of ape his style? Like, is it just disastrous?
0: I think it's not good. I think because what you see is you see a person, like, you, you know, um he seems like he's expending a great deal of effort and as if he's trying to articulate these ideas um, you know spontaneously on stage, when in fact it's all written, it's all written right right yeah. but, but um so I think that when when a younger comic or a less experienced comic uh, attempts to attempts to imitate that it the, the their idea of the process is probably a little bit different. Than than what Louis C.K.'s process actually is, because Louis C.K. I mean, he's been doing it. He's what he's mid forties now, early forties. Yeah. Uh, and he's been he's been doing stamp copies since he was like eighteen or nineteen. So you just can't really uh, you can't really compensate for that, you know, if you're a yeah, beginner.
1: And the other thing is, like, he talks so much about his kids, which, generally speaking, is not that great to listen to, especially if you don't have kids. Like, from a from a comic, whenever they start to talk about, you know, my, my kid did this, and isn't that cute? It's like, oh, you know. But he's the one guy who can kind of somehow power... Through. Uh-huh. Even if even if a comic has some life experience and has some comedy experience, and then they try to, you know, ape his style by focusing on, you know, kind of the funny things kids say and the funny thing, It's not going to... I don't know. So I hope hopefully, uh, the next generation of comics don't try to copy that, that aspect. That's the one aspect that... So he you can't copy, you know, Dirk Nowitzki's one-footed fadeaway just because you see it a bunch because he, he might be the only guy who can do that.
0: Yeah, he's seven feet tall and he has the, you know, he's got uh, a guard's shot, so you can't do that.
1: You need, you need to be a seven-foot-tall German with, like, crazy blonde hair and for, to do that. And, like, you know, you need to be a 45-year-old redheaded, you know, 30-year veteran comedian to to pull it off.
0: Mexican, too. Are you aware that?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the crazy thing. I I heard him. He was on. I think I heard him on like Opie and Anthony's radio show, and they were like you know cracking their usual racist humor. And he chimed up, chimed in. Finally, he had been on the show a bunch, so he was friendly with them. He's like, he was like, just so you know, uh, I'm Mexican. And they were they just started laughing as if he'd said, you know, just so you know, I'm a Martian.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were and they were laughing. But yeah, I guess his dad is Mexican and his mom is from a different country, too, or something like
0: that. Yeah, uh, something like that yeah, I, think, li- I believe he was born in Mexico and spent maybe you know, a year or two, I don't know. He, yeah. Uh, I don't know how his Spanish is. Do you know how his Spanish is?
1: Yeah, he's he said he came to America and he couldn't speak English. Oh. When he was like six or seven, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. So I assume his Spanish is great, but yeah. It's got to be weird to be... He's like the most uh, non-Mexican-looking person ever. He's like sort of a... You know, red-headed. He's a ginger. Let's just be honest. Well, he looks, like, he looks
0: precisely like every Boston Irish looks. That's, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what he looks like. And it's not hard to imagine him as a kind of... Especially in his uh, his earlier comic days, you know, as just a fratty Bostonian. And I say that yeah. as a quasi-Bostonian myself. Yep. Much love. Much love, Eric Leeman. Much love. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, this is the time of the show when... Um, Anyone who uh wants to just maintain their sanity uh, can depart. this is the part of the show where we're going to talk about the twins I guess the current uh, state the current I, I, state of the I, twins I don't know i I mean we yeah we should do it I mean you're here you're here you blog a lot about the twins uh they were bad last year uh, of course Joe Mauer uh played poorly or you know relative to his um Career numbers, and then and also missed a bunch of time with uh, various ailments. Justin uh, Morneau, uh, same thing to an even greater degree than Maurer, leaving uh, sort of uh, leaving a lot of plate appearances to names like uh, Drew Butera, uh, Luke Hughes, um, Renee <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, Trevor Plouffe that's a good one to throw
0: in there well Plouffe Plouffe though well, let's start with Plouffe 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 put up uh, actually pretty decent numbers at AAA Rochester yep um, and I heard yeah, you, he uh, go ahead I heard uh, I heard you talking about Plouffe on the podcast um, you were mentioning that you thought he might make a decent you or John were making the point that he might make a decent platoon partner except for the fact that there's hardly any precedent for Ron Gardenhire platooning players.
1: Yeah, there's only that's like a constant argument on my podcast with with, with my co-host John and I it's like I I keep saying to him give me one example of Ron Gardenhire platooning you know a straight up lefty righty platoon for a significant amount of time and I don't think there is one. There's been some situations where he will have like two like um a while back he had Bobby Kilty and Dustin Moore in right field and he would mix and match them just randomly or based on whatever he perceived as the favorable matchups. But in terms of like, you know, the traditional lefty ready platoons, they've never done it. They I mean they're set up to potentially do it with Ben Revere and Plouffe in left field, but yeah, I would just be shocked if if Gardner he he doesn't strike me as the guy who's gonna learn a new trick at you know, after ten years of managing.
0: He well which is funny, I mean at some level he's the he's the anti Earl Weaver, right? Uh Weaver was like famous for platooning and loving home runs, and he said that was the way he was going to win games. Gartenhire is about as sort of like um, traditional as uh, as you could imagine a manager could be.
1: Yeah, definitely, and, and it, it gets even more extreme. Like when he gets to the playoffs, I think you know they never win in the playoffs. They get swept by the Yankees every year. But I think almost every game one of the ALDS that they've been in under Gartenhire, which is like five or six of them. When the leadoff guy reaches base, he'll bunt him over with the, the number two hitter in the first inning, which is it's that's sort of his mo or the perception of it. But he actually isn't quite that extreme during the regular season. But I mean, he he loves to bunt and hit and run and all that stuff. But and when he gets into the playoffs, he just goes nuts with it, which is I I don't know if it, if he connects maybe in his brain now after the fact that you know they're like three and five hundred in the playoffs against the Yankees and maybe. You know, playing for one run in the first inning against the best-hitting team in baseball every time isn't a, isn't a great idea. Not that they, that's why they lose. But, yeah, it's frustrating as sort of a, a stat head who certainly falls more on the Earl Weaver side of things, in my beliefs, to have watched Garnheyer for the past 10 years or 8 or 10 years. But, I don't know, it's tough to argue with his record, I guess, aside from the total collapse last
0: year. Well, a lot of it has to do with the talent. I mean, the the thing that the Twins have done... Uh, have been able to do, even while uh, rejecting, it seems almost entirely any sort of uh, uh, any sort of the benefits of um, statistical analysis, is that they have generally produced talent uh, from the minor leagues.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, mean I, you, I don't know if they're doing that anymore though.
1: Yeah, well, that's the big worry. I mean, that's something when you look at that's the key for them because for a long time it was the key for them because they just they were sort of like in the Rays situation now where once a guy got to be you know his 5th year of service service time they just couldn't afford to keep him or they could maybe pick one or two guys out of each you know every 5 year period to keep so it was just essential for them from a payroll standpoint to always be have one or two you know impact players coming up through the minors to replace that and they they did an amazing job of that for you know, six or seven years, and they had some just MVP-caliber guys, you know, Maurer, Moreno, Johan Santana, Torrey Hunter, et cetera. But yeah, it's really dried up. I think part of that is maybe that they've been more successful, so they haven't been drafting as high, but they've also missed on a fair number of draft picks. They also haven't really been trading uh, as many veterans for prospects to try to rebuild on the fly because their payroll's been raised, so they haven't, you know, needed to, to dump salary or dump high price guys. And then, like you said, just last year every Mauer and Morno were hurt, but also you know Denard Spann was hurt, half the pitching staff was hurt, Joe Nathan wasn't himself, you know he was on and off the d l it was I think they were you know one of the most injured teams, certainly that I can remember, and it was just it was not a good team to begin with, but then when you lose you know your top five players basically for half the season or more, well I guess what you, I mean what you get is ninety nine losses.
0: Right, you know, it's curious. You mentioned that sort of cycle to uh, they've perhaps have uh, fallen into at this point. that can happen with these with a middling team is they they play well enough, um, such that they don't get a particularly great draft pick uh, in the in the following season, um, but not so well that you know that they're a lock for the playoffs every year. So there's sort of a nether world for a baseball team like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then you know what happened last year was they'd been competitive in sort of that 85 to 92 win zone for so long that even when they started out, I forget what their record was, but they were like 15 games below 500 in mid-June, everyone just kind of assumed, oh, they'll get it back on track because they do that, you know, they always finish with 85-plus wins. So they they passed up opportunities to trade Michael Kodair or Jason Kubel or some of their pitching. They ended up getting, I think they got, they get two draft picks for Kodair and one for Kubel. And then they also had the number two overall pick, you know, because they were so terrible. So they have a chance to restock the the farm system. I think they have six or seven in the top hundred picks. But if they can't come up with one or two stars from that group, they just they have no one above single A really who's an impact guy ready to come and step in hitters or pitchers in the next year or two. So they're going to need to get healthy. They're going to need Maurer to to get back to being an MVP. And Morno is really the one who. No one locally is at all confident in him being back 'cause he he's had the concussion thing that he's still not over. But he also had he had neck surgery, wrist surgery, foot surgery, and one other surgery. I'm not there's so many I forget, but yeah, he I'd say he's at best fifty fifty to to play a significant amount of games ever again.
0: Which is sad, but and, and I mean I actually I read I think Joe Christensen had a piece within the last couple of weeks. It was sort of a first hand account by uh, by Morneau, of uh, what his concussion, sy- uh, concussion symptoms feel like right. when he's experiencing them. He likened it to uh, like if you're on a bus and then you're looking out the side of the window and the um, you know the, the landscape is going by rather quickly. And then you look forward and it's going at the same speed. It's coming at you like that, you know, sort of you feel it like that. It, it strikes me that that would be difficult to uh, hit and field baseballs were that the case.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's so scary. Like you said, that's such a weird... I can't even imagine going through that. But then the other thing that even makes it scarier is that he just has... There's no way to rehab it. I mean, I'm sure there are things you can do to help it a little bit, but you're just basically at the mercy of your brain. I mean, he tried to come back in the middle of last year and clearly wasn't himself, and then dove for a ball at first base. It just seemed like a fairly routine play, and he aggravated the, the concussion and all the symptoms came back again. And in that article you talked about, uh, that was in the Star Tribune, I don't know, a week or so ago, it was, uh, the writer Joe Christensen, he painted it as a positive thing. I think his exact quote was like, uh, Maurer, I mean, Morno is happy because he hasn't experienced concussion symptoms since December. And I read that and I was like, well, that's good. And then I thought, well, we're only, you know, now we're early February and that was written in, you know, late January. So that just means 18 months after his original concussion, he's gone three weeks without symptoms. So that to me, it's not really encouraging. It's such a scary thing. And in general, I see like whenever uh, Jason Bay or, or Brian Roberts or the various other guys who have suffered concussions recently, whenever you write about it, like on NBC, it's so depressing to see the comments that roll in from people who just have no willingness or to understand what all is involved? In it. They, they sort of view it as like a strained hamstring, like you can just tough your way through it. And like you said, I mean, those concussions that he described—it's—it's it's just not something you can, you know, work out through. It's just I
0: don't know. I don't well, know how. It's you, also scary how it sort of colors your entire life, right? I mean, you are a person who's who has the concussion. I mean, essentially perpetually.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's the big fear, I guess. When you have one, you're more likely to get two, and so on. And it's something. I mean, maybe if he was willing to tough it out through those symptoms he could just continually try to make it back and have setbacks and spend time in the DL and all that but the huge risk is even if you're somehow strong enough mentally to get through that which i don't see how you could be but even if you were you risk ruining your whole life after baseball and he i think he just had a kid and he got married like a year and a half ago so i mean how many football players have we seen that are just kind of mush after playing football just because they've had so many concussions.
0: Yeah, it's peculiar because you, you, you mentioned also uh, besides Morneau, uh, not Brian Roberts, but uh, Jason Bay and, of course, Corey Koski, uh, yep. also for years. Those are all Canadians. I, I don't think that uh, I'm saying anything new when I say that um, Canadians are more at risk of this. I think it has something to do with their – people say hockey. I think it might have to do with their genetics. Canadian, yeah, I wonder about that. Canadian I mean, genetics.
1: That, do they have uh, smaller or larger brains? Have we found that out yet? Has anybody researched that?
0: Uh, you know, wh- whichever they are, they're they're likely nicer brains, more polite. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, but I, I do think the hockey. I mean, Morneau played a ton of hockey, and I know Koski played a ton of hockey. So they both said they had probably multiple concussions. I don't know about Jason Bay, but
0: Niger Morgan, well, he'll be uh, he'll be the one we're looking at this year.
1: Yeah, he's concussion free so far, right? Which is amazing cuz he's getting in fights and stuff. You would think he's really asking for a concussion. He's though. winning
0: the fights. That's what that's the point. got to win that I guess fight. that's the key. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. Um, well listen, Aaron Gleeman, this is uh this is great stuff. I I could have you on. I mean, I could talk We could just do this for hours.
1: It is uh it has been my pleasure, Carson. I enjoyed talking to you the other night and uh this has been great too. Thank you for having me on.
0: Great. All right. Well, thank you. Uh that's that's Aaron Gleeman. Michael Kadir, baseball writing, uh, contributor to uh, NBC's Hardball Talk, I guess. That's it, yeah. And uh, proprietor of AaronGleeman.com. Like I say, that's Aaron Gleeman. I'm Carson Sestooli. and this is Fangraphs Audio.